You're listening to Integrating Sacred Wisdom Podcast. I call on the Guardian of the East, Raphael, Element of Air. Come and be welcomed. Call upon the Guardian of the South, Michael, Element of Fire. Come and be welcomed. I call on the Guardian of the West, Gabriel, Element of Water. Come and be welcomed. I call on the Guardian of the North, Uriel, element of Earth, come and be welcome. And we are your hosts. I'm Kelly Hauk, founder of Sacred Arts Sanctuary in West Sedona and also Heart Space Retreats. And I am Priscilla Hadway, founder of Sacred Remembering Sound Healing in Sedona, Arizona and ascensionprovisions.com. I'm Matthew David Cummings with Above So Curio and Purify by Fire. And I'm Anna Marstanovich with Heart Space Retreats in Sedona and also High Desert Healing, Massage and Bodywork. Hello everyone and welcome back to Integrating Sacred Wisdom. Today we are going to be discussing meditation and mindfulness and how we incorporate this into our own private practice as practitioners and also how we incorporate it in our private lives as well. According to mindful.org, mindfulness is the basic human ability to be fully present and aware of where we are and what we're doing and not overly reactive or overwhelmed by what's going on around us. Mindfulness is available to us in every moment, whether through meditations and body scans or mindful moment practices like taking time to pause and breathe when the phone rings instead of rushing to answer it. So I think, I mean, mindfulness has a lot to do with um, topics that we've already touched on, um, especially, you know, doing shadow work and and things like that. But uh, it's kind of recognizing your own uh, responses uh, to certain stimuli and um, to try to train yourself when you're becoming reactionary uh, and to to kind of uh, just bring awareness to that and to change, you know, your form of action. So, you know, we can't always control our circumstances, but we can always control how we react to something. Um, and I think it's just kind of human nature to to not be aware of that at first. I think it's something that you have to learn. I don't think a lot of people just keep every time that they are, you know, have are in a certain situation, you know, they're kind of just subjected to their own emotions or what they're used to programming, um, you know, either from watching others or from how they grow up. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, not becoming reactionary is uh, a big part of mindfulness or, or just awareness in general. Yeah, I think it's being, we talked a lot in the sacred space episode about being really intentional with how we're doing things and that that creates a sacred environment. You know, what we're making, if you're being, that's the same thing as being mindful, right? So if I'm being mindful with how I'm cooking this meal, I'm setting an intention, I'm 
watching, you know, every move of the knife. I'm smelling all of the smells from the food, you know, hearing the the chop or the bubbling or whatever it is that's going on. Then you're just engaging all of your senses and you, that in itself is bringing your awareness more into the present moment. You're not off in the past. You're not thinking about the future. It's finding peace and centeredness and being super present with what's going on. Yeah, years ago, I read about um, mindfulness meditation technique where you sit in meditation and naturally you're going to have thoughts come up and you watch these thoughts float by like clouds without any judgment, without any analysis of the thoughts, without grasping or holding on to the thoughts. You just let them pass by. And then each subsequent thought will pass by and pass by until eventually you kind of reach that point of stillness. Ideally, this might not take one session of mindfulness meditation. Um, it may take many, but that's what I think Matt was talking about earlier is that non-reactiveness, that non-judgment, that observation. Or dis disassociation. I, I mean, disassociation, I, I, we've talked about it before, you know, in, in certain... Um, you know, mental health treatments, um, and and it gets a, a bad rap. You you think of disassociation as a as a bad thing, but uh, utilizing it as a as a tool, as uh, a form of uh, kind of digesting information or circumstance uh, in in a positive aspect of separating yourself from your your stereotypical reactionary you know emotional responses and and learning uh objectively uh, by observing uh the the situation you know void of that and then uh your own response to that um and i think that that's a big practice in all meditation and mindfulness well and i think also when you are practicing that level of mindfulness you're able to um, give yourself like a pause whenever there's something that's emotionally charging you and giving you time to digest that information before responding to it. So taking that time out. So whatever it may be. And obviously, you know, there's going to be situations that come up where you won't be able to take a pause and react later. Um, but if you are given the chance to, to just even just give yourself a few deep breaths before you respond to allow yourself to calm down, to be able to be present enough to respond in a way that is not an emotional reaction to other people. That's a certain level of mindfulness that you can practice. There's other forms of mindfulness of just being present in the present moment, kind of what Anna was saying earlier, um, where, you know, we live in a tourist town, we're in Sedona, right? And so many people are on vacation here. And I don't know how many people I have to just help put them back in their body because nobody is present when they get here. Mm. And it's interesting to see the people that plan every second of their vacation when they're here, instead of just going with the flow, they don't really enjoy it. So it's like, you almost need a vacation from your vacation because you feel like you need to go and see every tiny little thing and do every tiny little thing you possibly can while you're on vacation. And I mean, to me, that kind of defeats the purpose. I think I would be stressed out just being on vacation, not being mindful of just where I'm at, taking it in, putting the phone down and being able to be present in that moment and observe, feel the energies of the area. Um, Sedona is a very spiritual place. So even feeling the vortices here 
you know, you have to have a certain level of presence just to feel that energy coming through. And so a lot of people have that disconnect with themselves where they just can't even be present in the time that they're supposed to be present. Well, that's that, that's like attaching expectation, right? It's a, so we're trying to, we, we expect our, our vacations to, to be one way or, or so we try to pre-plan you know, to get as much as we can in, and that's that's a you know a, a result of the times of of having instant gratification and you know getting stuck in in the work week. So we we think we need to to get every little thing out of it. If we're not you know if we're not doing, then we're not we're not being successful or or you know whatever uh, predisposition we have on that. Um, but yeah, I see that a lot, uh, especially, you know, setting up appointments for people. Um, yeah, they have such narrow time and then we, you know, we have other people that, that just walk in and they say, oh, you know, I, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And I don't know, the, di- the difference in, in relaxation, I think is, is profound, um, especially coming into such a heal- healing energy place. You know, if you have expectations, you're, you're going to miss all those things that you could have benefited from. Yeah, well, I think, too, there's also a segment of, like, outdoorsy people. You know, not everyone comes to Sedona strictly for the spiritual experience, right? True. There's a lot of outdoorsy, you know, let's go on a hike, let's go on a Jeep tour, let's go, you know, on a wine tour, that kind of a thing, too, so... Um, that's why I always joke with people when it comes to our spiritual businesses. Like, are we really busy on Memorial Day? Not really. Like, are we busy on a eclipse? Hell yeah. You know, <laughs> like those are the, the solstices, equinoxes, full moons, new moons. Like that's when, that's when our businesses, yeah, that's <laughs> when our businesses are really busy as on high holy days. Not so much like if it's 4th of July, dead, you know, Memorial Day, dead. Because <laughs> like, everyone that's coming in town at that point is about hiking and doing tours. And, you know, so I think they appreciate some of the spiritual aspects, but I don't know that that's their intention in in coming. And so. Well, and I think the whole point of the topic, though, was just yeah. when people come in with the expectations to have the spiritual right. Sedona experience and then they come in and they can't relax. There's they won't relax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's not an alignment with their intention and their actions. Yeah. We, t- we tell people all the time because uh, they, they ask about vortexes mm-hmm. and, and, um, and they want to know about vortexes and what they're going to feel and which, which one does what thing. And we're like, you know, you, you can't go in with any expectation. It's an experiential thing. You, mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone is going to experience it uh, completely different. I mean, yeah, we can all talk about similarities, but there is no one, one size fits all sort of uh, spiritual energetic experience. Yeah, that's yeah. so true, especially about the vortexes. I feel like... We actually had a couple of older ladies come in the other day and they were saying that they were going to go to um, one of the vortexes here in town. And uh, what does it feel like? What should I expect? And I never know how to answer that because I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to feel. I don't know what you're going to experience. Um, But I feel like they want it kind of laid out so that they know when they get there that 
whatever they are feeling, their experience is valid. Yeah, I think it's confirmation. And yeah. And, and I tell people when I get asked that question, I said, I'll be honest with you. Like, I have my own experiences. And then I read what all the books that are around town say each one is about. And I think it's totally opposite than what they say. And not because I'm some yeah. expert. That's just mm-hmm. for over decades, my experiences. I thought I thought I knew, quote mm-hmm. unquote. And then I read all these books and they're like, oh, no, it's like the complete opposite masculine or feminine energy or it's this yeah. or that. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I don't get that there at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't so, I don't know about the masculine yeah. and feminine energy either. Yeah, yeah. I just kind of I, I think it's so subtle and it's it's so individual too that I, I try not to give them too many expectations. Yeah. But it's like Kelly was saying about being in the present moment. Being in the present moment is a huge part of mindfulness. Yeah. Because oftentimes if you there's nothing wrong with planning, right? If you're a planner, and you, I am not, and you yeah, want to plan. We're still in your, a 3D world. Right, yeah. right. But if something doesn't go the way that you had planned, um, and we've seen this a lot working in the spa and resort industry, when something does not go according to a type A person's plan, mm-hmm. they kind of lose it a little bit. But I always tell them if you're in the present moment, you can kind of see the blessing in it. There's always some sort of lesson or blessing in it, right? It's that trickster element kind of giving you that little bit of nudge that, oh, you tried to make plans? Psych. (laughs) (laughs) Especially in Sedona. I tell people always apologize for, you know, last minute changes or something like that. I said, you know, that's just Sedona has her way with you. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, and it is important to leave room for the mystery, you know, to make some plans, have some framework, but leave room for the mystery yeah don't plan the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed give yourself some time to have presence and experience with it Mm -hmm. instead of that go 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 personality Mm -hmm. um and for people that are listening and they're like what the heck are they talking about with vortices and (laughs) trying to understand what we're talking about sedona is known for having vortexes in town and um there's various different explanations of what it is some people have um ideas that there's crystals under the ground that cause these vortexes to develop. Um, Other people consider it like energy centers of the earth. Um, There's a few other explanations. I know Matt has some pretty good knowledge on that stuff. Yeah, I mean, what we we tell people is it's kind of like the convergence uh, between if you know anything about ley lines or, um, you know, they're they're like the energetic meridians of of earth. And when you get uh, two, you know, alternating corresponding um ley lines you know uh, going in opposite directions uh, that point that they meet uh, that node is then explained to be the vortex and it's just the convergence of energies and it can create kind of like a swirling type effect you get you know energies that are flowing in one direction and flowing in another when they meet you know they create kind of like the the, the eddies, you know, that you would see in water. Um, and, and that actually trans, you know, uh, gets enhanced by uh, the different types of geological formations that we have uh, in Sedona. And that has a lot to do with the basalt and uh, iron. iron oxide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basalt and the iron oxide. Field. Yeah, and they, they kind of increase the, the, the magnetic fields. And, and so they become a little bit more profound physically um since our bodies are mostly water we can kind of feel that shift um and it it also it all it's also expressed in in a lot of the vegetation too so so that's kind of some of the proof that's that it's there whether you feel it or not 
Uh, we get a lot of the, the trees that are close to where we believe the center points are um, actually twisting because, you know, again, trees are mostly water. And if that water is interacting with that energetic spin, uh, the, the vegetation seems to kind of take on that effect as it grows. Uh, though subtle, you know, um, it everybody experiences it differently. So, Yeah, so mo what most people will say is they have, you know, some type of spiritual awakening or spiritual experiences that they may not. There's some sort of feeling of other is, I think, the best way I've for me when I heard somebody say that, like you have this sense of other of that, you know, you're in a magical place that there's something is different. You can't may not be able to put your finger on it. Or you could have like a profound spiritual or um, otherworldly, you know, yeah. kind of experience or feeling in that space. And I think that's part of, you know, the whole purpose of us talking all about that is having that mindfulness, like not relying solely on what you're told you're supposed to feel. It's taking the moment to be present and just see what happens and being open to what happens. For you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think... a what helps to know about mindfulness to understand it is knowing that it comes from the Buddhist tradition, right? And so we all kind of have these cultural connotations of what we think, uh, you know, it's like to be a Buddhist monk or how they move and how they speak and how they live their lives. Like that gives, they are living embodiments of a mindfulness practice, you know? So a lot of the ideas we have in modern day about mindfulness come from their tradition. And so, you know, mindfulness is defined by the Buddha means an awareness of incessant change and arising and vanishing and inside of your own body, which is the ultimate reality of your own life is your own observation of life. So like Anna was saying before, just, you know, letting things come and go, letting things flow in and out of your awareness without any judgment, without, you know, any filter is very much but if you're wanting to feel that feeling imagining that feeling of being in a mindful state i think thinking of like a buddhist monk is probably the best yeah, yeah. the best idea of that watching them hap happily trim you know trees or cook food or you know walk you know walk mindfully through mm -hmm. some sort of you know garden or something like that that that's very much and it reminds me of i don't know who said it I wish I could remember. I, I almost want to say it was it was Chopra, but I could be totally misquoting that. But it's it's all about the monkey brain, mm -hmm. right? Monkey brain says, you know, do this, do this, do this, and you know, in order to still the monkey brain, you have to give it something to do. So it's to create awareness, or you know, like that's kind of the theory between yoga. You're you're giving your uh, physical body and uh, you know a conscious movement or uh, an action to do to focus on and that calms that monkey brain saying oh monkey brain can can do this pose and then you have you know you have a moment to to reflect and or you know to recognize that stillness and um, kind of embody that and and like Anna was saying you know let watch whatever monkey brain is saying you know float float by you on a cloud or you know a up above and in a bubble or something you know it can, it can come back to you later when you know when you need a monkey brain 
Yeah, they talk a lot about being the observer, right? So yeah. kind mm-hmm. of that divine perspective, like you're stepping out of your own bubble and rising up to see the big picture. And what would things look like if it wasn't about how it's affecting you, but how things can be seen from, you know, the divine, right? Or God or whatever it is, you know, the grand poobah in the sky, just like be able to look down and see things with that neutrality. And what that ha- what that does is it creates a lot less stress and anxiety because you're not forcing the world to, you know, trying to constantly relate to the world. You're just observing the world, right? You don't have to feel a certain way about the sky being blue. You don't have to feel a certain way about you know, someone walking in front of you in the line, right? Like you can just choose to just observe it and let it go. And I think that's, you know, the flow that they're talking about that reduces a lot of your stress, a lot of your anxiety and um, makes you more considerate, compassionate. You know, it helps take a lot of those triggers out of your life Mm -hmm. if you're able to just kind of sit back and watch more often. Yeah, kind of takes the ego out of it, yeah, dissolves the ego a bit, exactly what it where does. you stop taking things so personally, also part of that non-reactivity. Yeah, and embracing the change and flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, seeing that thoughts and emotions are constantly flowing. That's why we see in spiritual terms, we always, and in Jungian psychology, all of those dream work, things like that, it's always wind is representative of the mind, you know, the five elements, right? Water is emotion. There's so many different belief systems that say the mind and emotion are all about flow and movement because they do just constantly change. And do you really want to be, you know, a victim of those whims in that chaos, you know, where can you be centered and, and observing instead? Yeah. Matt mentioned the monkey mind. Mm. So, um, that's an interesting concept because the monkey mind kind of brings up the idea of, well, is that really who's in charge? <laughs> is that is that really the observer when we think of the observer? Is it the monkey mind or is the monkey mind some sort of programming? Yeah. Some sort of base primal instinct that for some reason has taken over well, instead of our our more our divinity. Yeah, we habit. we've talked about that before. Yeah, separating, you know, the the fight or flight um consciousness for um, you know, uh, surrendering to uh, higher consciousness, whether that be ourselves or, or some sort of you know higher hierarchy or su- supreme order, you know. Um, but yeah, is I I don't know, is that nature? That's is that nature versus nurture? But they uh, the monkey brain can can use both, right? So it, it's even. Uh, it's even uh, further disconnected than that. Yeah, I think that's one of the aims of meditation is to quiet that monkey mind, quiet that chatter, and yes. and reach that stillness. That's what I often hear about stillness. Well, and I think a lot of people um, tend to misunderstand and um, think that they can't meditate because they see like the examples of like how Buddhist monks are meditating and they think oh well you need to have just perfect stillness you just need to stop thinking and clear your mind and that's it 
Um, and these, and people tend to be like, well, I can't do that. So obviously I don't know how to meditate. I can't meditate. And it's interesting to see that because that's everyone's perspective, but anything can be a meditation. Cleaning mm-hmm. can be a meditation. Walking can be a meditation. It's Work. about having presence and that mindfulness. I mean, I don't know how many times when I'm doing massage, like I'm in a full meditation during that time. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I'll joke like, that you, you kind of forget there's a client there because you're in like such a deep state of like presence with that person to where you're you're there and you're present with them but you're like in this almost like trance like state while you're working with them that they cough and then kind of startle you for a second because mm-hmm. you're, you weren't mm-hmm. expecting that and you're in a very deep trance at that moment and um, so meditation doesn't always have to be just sitting and having your mind be still it doesn't have to be perfect it's about more putting yourself into your body and bringing yourself present and once you're at the point of being present you can then start to go into more of an altered state of mind and that's usually when you start going into shamanic journeying and things like that as well well flow state too i mean we, we've yeah. talked we've touched on that many times and in, in many different it, it comes up all the time and uh, in, in everything that that we do. I mean, uh, even if you're not in the spiritual part of life, uh, you've experienced flow state. I mean, you, you, even if you didn't know it, you can't tell me that you haven't because uh, it's it's going to come upon you. You know, when you're doing something that you're gifted at or something that you enjoy, um, you're just going to find yourself being lost in the moment and. Um, you know, suddenly time no longer exists, and uh, you know that that the chatter in the brain is is no longer there. And you know, uh, athletes experience it. Animals. Um, yeah, it, you know, yeah. You're in. You're just. We call it in the zone. You know, we're in the zone. That's the 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 form of flow state. And in in a sense, that's that's kind of the the goal in in. Uh, mindfulness and meditation almost is to take all those external circumstances out and and remain uh, present in in whatever form that takes so yeah it doesn't necessarily mean just sitting and chanting om you know for hours on end until you have nothing inside of your brain i i don't you know people spend their entire lives trying to achieve that um but I don't know that how many are actually successful. And, and you know, yeah. we're, we always have something there. Well, I think that's the difference between mindfulness. I think mindfulness is the gateway to meditation, but mindfulness is when you're very present in your waking life, making choices with purpose and intention. And meditation is when you start going to that trance and you start going out of, you know, out of that awareness. So I think, you know, those are, I think mindfulness is maybe the gateway to get to that meditative trance state. Yeah, uh, there is. I mean, mindfulness meditation does exist as an actual practice, but also living mindfully exists. That it, and you can do that whenever, wherever, throughout your entire day. So I think this is a good time to talk about the types of meditation. Yeah, um, as we mentioned, mindfulness meditation, movement meditation, such as walking, working. Um, personally, this is where I find I get in the best flow state is when I'm moving my body. Um Qigong can Qigong, be Qigong, Tai Chi, Dancing, dance, dance ex- yes, yeah, exactly. Um, visualizations, 
mantras and transcendental meditation. That's that chanting OM over and over that Matt was mentioning. Um, guided meditation, sound healing, body scans, and breath work. Do any of you want to yeah, mention anything I, about this? Yeah, those? I have a couple. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm going to be, you know, um, saying some of the same ones that you said. Uh, yeah, like so. So my list here, uh, guided. Uh, yeah, you touched on that. Um, but in guided, we also have like yoga nidra. So that's like yogic sleep. Um, so even in that, uh, sound healing is also a form of meditation, you know, even though, um, it's, it, there's some sort of sound related. Um, so mantra, we touched on that transcendental, uh, walking Kelly talked on that. Um, meta that's that's one I don't normally hear uh, so meta is the cultivation of loving kindness so it's a component and compassion for yourself and for others so like a self-love practice yeah. that you're doing I've or, been doing a worldly lot of... love yeah I mean oh, finding I compassion that. for yeah all things I guess I've been doing a lot of um, meditations lately, like going into sleep. So I've been playing um, like certain sound hertz music. Oh yeah. Um, with the intention of astral projection, and I've been um, playing it right before I fall asleep. So I go into a meditation before I go to bed, and then I continue to listen to it throughout the night. And um, just with trying to get to the point of astral projection and it's been causing crazy lucid dreaming Mm -hmm. and all sorts of other stuff. So that's been a new thing that I used to practice when I was younger and then I stopped and lately it's kind of spiked up a new interest. And so I've been doing that. So you can even do those type of meditations if you like to go into like altered dream states and things like that when you're sleeping. Yeah, there are some great guided meditations just on YouTube some excellent resources on there. Hopefully you don't get an ad pop up oh <laughs> you know, right in the middle. Um, but if you're just starting out, that is an excellent place to start guided meditations. The mantra meditations are great when you are just starting out and you feel like you have a lot of mental chatter and you just really need to shut it up like right now. Um, mantra meditations are a good place to start too. The cool thing about mantra meditations that I like is that a lot of times it incorporates the breath. Yes. Within the mantra. So it's, yeah. So you're even, again, you're, you're giving that monkey brain kind of something to focus on. And that's, that's controlling your breath awareness. And, you know, adding a mantra that makes it a little bit easier to not just have to focus on the, the physical breath, which I, after you do it for a while, it, it begins to make sense. But if you're just starting off, like, trying to feel (laughs) how you breathe is really really weird and it can be really difficult um so adding a mantra to that um to to kind of give more expression or um i don't almost teach your your physical body when and how to do the things that it naturally does by itself without any help um but yeah I, i like um mantra meditation especially when it has aspects of breath work. So breath work, I mean, really changes everything. Um, 
So if you're interested in meditation uh, and you have no idea how to go about it, um, I would recommend um, incorporating some sort of breath work, even if it's just observing your own your own breath um, in the moment. Yeah. yeah, I'm often surprised that people don't know how to breathe. They're often stuck with that chest breathing, and, and that puts you in a fight or flight if you're constantly breathing really shallow from your chest, that when you guide somebody to breathe deep from their belly, fill up their belly, mm-hmm. by putting a, a, a good technique is by having them put one hand on their heart and one hand on their belly, and as they inhale to feel their belly rise. And for a lot of people that like, their wires get crossed when you yeah. tell them that. They're like, you breathe from your belly? No, you breathe from your chest. Because you th- they think when you take a deep breath, your chest rises, right? Well, I know as women, we're so used to sucking our stomachs in. Yeah. Right? Like I've been doing that yeah. since I was like 13. Well, so, I think okay. men too. So, okay, I wonder. <laughs> yeah, so for me, that's always the weird thing. I'm like, yeah. oh, but wait, it goes out because I've been sucking <laughs> it in. Let that, let that belly out. <laughs> I, I grew up, you know, um, in chorus. So I learned really early on, yeah, how to, to breathe with the, the diaphragm. So so going from that into uh, what, like, jeez, what was I doing? Kundalini yoga. Mm, uh, it's it's yeah. a lot of different breath technique um, and very extreme breath technique. And I found it very easy. But, yeah, it's a really foreign concept. If you, mm-hmm. like, I have that previous experience in it and it was still difficult i can't even imagine if you've never even thought of you know breathing with your diaphragm (laughs) yeah well i tell i tell people that expanding the belly that way helps to pull that last bit of their lungs down so you get the most real estate from your lungs you get the most breath into your lungs and when you say it that way they're like oh okay that makes sense it's also how you can stop hiccups oh um i don't now by expanding your your diaphragm, your diaphragm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that I came up with this myself, but it's, it's something it's that I've, I've by been. Matt. <laughs> no, no, that's what I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> I'm not giving any medical advice here. <laughs> uh, this isn't documented. How dare you not stop my hiccups? <laughs> We're gonna have angry listeners write in that this didn't work. <laughs> Well, also, I don't want you to hurt yourself, too. I mean, if you're not used to expanding your diaphragm, you know, I don't want, I don't want you to have a hernia or something. Um, but so I've been doing that for, for many years uh, when I have hiccups is, is forcing air down into my diaphragm. And uh, to the point of, like, holding your breath. I mean, a lot you've, you've always heard hold your breath when you have hiccups, right? Well, if you just hold your breath like normal... It's it's not going to do anything. I still hiccup. You still yeah, hiccup. I hiccup while you can I'm hiccup while you when, when the air's in your chest. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. next time, consciously push down into your diaphragm. Push that air down in there. I mean, you can even kind of artificially inhale where you kind of like swallow air. Yeah. Only into your lungs, not into your stomach, of course. Uh, and, and expanding that diaphragm. And I, I mean, nine times out of ten hiccups gone right makes sense because that's what's spasming is the diaphragm and you're basically stretching it yep yeah interesting well Hmm. and um a lot of meditation practices i like to do because he was mentioning various different ones on like um focusing on the breath and things like that but one of the things that i like to do is more like the guided meditation ones i like to just put on um 
various different types of guided meditations and follow them. That's always something I was always drawn to, which is interesting that I ended up getting into shamanic journeying because it's kind of like a form of doing guided meditation, but it incorporates energy work and working with the spirit world. And um, being and you also do a body scan. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that would be something that is also good for when you're just starting out with it. Um, more advanced type of work if you are getting into meditation and find that you're getting good at it um, would be doing more of the shamanic journeying type of stuff to really focus in on your energy body and clearing it in a shamanic way well and and um, like doing uh, hypnotherapy or, or past life regression um, you know, if I'm, if I'm ever scheduling that for someone, one of the questions that we have to ask is, are you easily hypnotized or are you, you know, familiar in, with meditation or trance? And um, a lot of times people aren't. And sometimes it's really difficult for them if they don't have some sort of experience in, in calming the body and the mind. Um, uh purposefully uh, a lot of times it's difficult for them to drop so yeah if you are interested in doing uh, hypnotherapy or past life regression or um, or shamanic journeying uh, definitely having your own meditative practice or even doing something like yoga nidra and doing guided meditations or sleep meditation is going to be to your benefit uh, to get the most out of that experience. Yeah, because it's just a, it's a brainwave state. It's all practice. That's why we call meditation a practice, right? It's training your mind to, to operate in a certain way. Like we talked about monkey mind. That's a lot of that is habit. It's, it's some of it's the way we're wired as humans, our survival mode, you know, to stay and vigilant and to remember things you know remember things that can hurt us so that we can you know say okay Sam fell off the cliff and died I don't like cliffs anymore you know like there's all these things that we have to scan our environment all the time to stay safe wait what but happened our, Sam? yeah I know <laughs> poor bastard <It's> okay <laughs> so but um but our so our our brains are naturally wired to focus on the negative right and because in that way we can survive so this is how we are trying to retrain our brain in order to just let things flow instead of making the negative to let things pass through or to focus on other things besides survival that's really lifting yourself out of that and there's lots of you know one of the We've talked about, like Matt brought up um, mantras. I love to do that too. Sometimes I'll do that with a mala, you know, or the tradition of rosary beads. That's the same thing as mantra saying the whatever that prayer is. Yeah, true. That's exactly. So many spiritual traditions have all of these practices. They just all have different names. And that's how you know when something is true, I think, is that it's stood the test of time and cultures and um, so, for example, you know, I, the reason the thing I like about doing the mantras is to me, I think I'm wired for it naturally. I have the practice naturally because growing up in a charismatic Christian environment, that's what we'd, we would sing, you know, basically mantras, but they were just based on Christian ideologies. Sure. You know, you just sing the same 
two sentences over and over and over again, and it puts you into that trance state. So to me, even the Gurumukhi language that a lot of mantras come from, it, they're prayers, you know? So I like that concept of saying, okay, I can set an intention. One of my favorites is super simple. It's aham prema, which is I am love, right? And so just saying I am love, I am love over and over again. So whether you say in another language or your own, but saying that same prayer, setting that intention, you're actually tuning yourself like an instrument to the vibration of that prayer. Because through that, I am love. I embody love. I attract love when I'm love, you know. And um, I am helping other people recognize love in themselves when they come in contact with me, when I'm holding that vibration of love. So there's a lot of different layers to, to having a mantra. It's not just, it helps your left brain to have something to focus on. Sometimes having the rosary beads or the mala beads, you know, and saying it however many times that helps. There's lots of science around how often we do things to create a new habit. Because essentially, that's what you're trying to do. You're practicing to rewire and and to create a new habit and state of being. So the other one um, that I've always done a lot of is the Druidic Celtic practice. They journaled. That's what Druids did. A lot of journaling, Mm -hmm. you know, for they were very scholarly. Right. And so they would in my studies of druidism and and some of the organizations i used to be members of that that studied these practices like it's very much about a scholarly pursuit it's taking their meditation is taking an idea and thinking about it you know thinking about this this concept or reading a book about this concept or just journaling which could be channeling free writing like whatever it is you know um, about this, but the focus being on one particular subject that that was, you know, their way of maintain of training their mind to focus on one thing at a time. That's where we find peace and centeredness is focusing on one thing at a time. Yeah, you touched on what I was going to say. Uh-huh. Absolutely, re- <laughs> re- <Beecha>. rewiring. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to add to it: yeah. rewiring the Great. the neurological pathways in the brain. Um, and and yeah. I, that's proven science you know that that's not uh that's not woo-woo theory that <laughs> i mean anybody can do that at any time um yeah, how many days is it to create a new habit is it 21 21 yeah i believe 21, it's 21 days or like 20 yeah that's what i thought it was like 20, three weeks 22, yeah something yeah. about 80 somewhere i heard about maybe 28 else. yeah is I it 28 might be okay. 28 yeah couldn't tell you google it there's y'all's homework (laughs) 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 but i i I do know that the the uh the mala beads you know uh and the the rosaries they each have a specific number uh, of times yeah 108 and Mm -hmm. and so that's significant and i'm i'm sure if we look deeper into that it's going to have some sort of uh repetition you know kind of learning response there that that goes beyond what we've We've come to use it for the the spiritual significance. The one and eight equals nine, which is a completion. That's the ones one plus zero plus eight is usually what they'll say. Hmm. Yeah, and I've researched that. And there's ways to like enhance your meditation practices. Um, I know a lot of people are drawn to plant spirit medicine, but you don't necessarily have to go that route with it. Um, a lot of people really like psychedelics for spiritual practices, but 
um, even just aromatherapy or um, flower essences can help enhance your meditation practices and using those on there. Um, I specifically like to work a lot with rose whenever I'm doing meditation because rose tends to put me directly into my crown chakra. So if I'm trying to channel or do anything else, um, just even smelling rose tends to automatically put me in that place. So even just little things like that, using sound crystal bowls, um, Tibetan bowls, whatever it may be, sound healing can help a lot. Listening to meditation music, um, crystals also can help. Um, if you're sensitive to crystal energy, that can definitely help with that. But a lot of people, um, you know, they, they ask like, well, how can a crystal help? We use crystals with everything. I mean, there's so many uses for crystals. And, um, I mean, we even have crystals in our cell phones from what I hear. And, um, even during early practices, I mean, crystals have certain minerals and things like that inside of it too. So they're, they have some forms of medicinal properties to them. So it's a technology is how yeah. I explain it to people, yeah. just like metals, like copper in spiritual terms is really activating, right? It helps conduct things just like we use it in electricity because electricity is energy and we are energy and... Exactly. Yeah, so their technologies is a good way to look at it. Yeah, I've, I've always heard, well, when I was early kind of getting into this, that, yeah, the crystal concept was always kind of, I don't know, more abstract, I, th I think. And I think a lot of people, you know, even a lot of spiritual people that I know um, still kind of find this this disconnect between uh crystals in their own practice and I mean now I'm 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 all for it you know I know I know quite a bit about it but um in the beginning I I needed you know I needed something more to hold on to and that was frequency and that is that you know every every mineral every crystal I mean we look at the the atomic table um you know everything uh vibrates at a certain frequency and if you look at it that way we're we're you know surrounded by frequency and and all you know stationary objects that we've ever encountered in our lives you know so why not put those with specific vibrations you know for a specific intent or um or ones that have been been shown to, you know, maybe enhance a specific type of of ideal, you know, around you. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want that? Um, and I think we're kind of coming into a more. I guess that kind of goes with mindfulness. Um, we're kind of coming into an age now where people are paying more attention to what things are made out of, um, where they come from, and uh, how they affect us physically, emotionally, uh, and spiritually. And, um, so I think crystals are getting, uh, a lot more, uh, mainstream now, probably due to most of those reasons. Yeah. And that kind of touches back on our sacred space episode, which is just using those tools to help facilitate a meditative, mood or a mindful mood um but why should we do it 
let's get into the benefits, yeah. right? Why, why is it so important? Why should we be meditating? And I'll read off some of the benefits and then we can kind of talk about benefits maybe that we've seen in our own lives. So the benefits of meditation is that it eases anxiety and depression, it improves self-confidence, reduces stress, reduces inflammation, improves sleep, improves brain health, helps curb addiction, eases pain, controls cravings, and decreases blood pressure. And I remember hearing about a study a while back where they took meditators and non-meditators and they hooked them up to a bunch of medical equipment, EKGs and whatnot, and they, they measured their reactions to being startled. And they found that the meditators responded quicker to being startled, but that their, their blood pressure and their heart rate, while it spiked, just like the non-meditators, it went back down much quicker than the non-meditators. The non-meditators did not react quite as fast, and their blood pressure and their heart rate and the respiration was elevated for a lot longer. So they stayed in a state of stress for a mm -hmm. lot longer than non-meditators. So I think that's fascinating that our recovery to physical stress is improved mm -hmm. with frequent meditation and yeah. also our reaction time. It's funny. I just watched the episode of The Office where Dwight says that he can raise and lower his blood pressure at will. <laughs> <laughs> And someone that. says, why would you want to raise your <laughs> blood pressure? And he says, so I can lower it. Well, there's your example right there. <laughs> when you're, <laughs> If you can raise your blood pressure, you can lower it. Um, Dwight is a secret monk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely. convinced he's a Scientologist in real life, too. So. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. Don't ruin it. <laughs> Did you? Oh. Interesting. He's a cool guy, though. I like yeah, he's, he's got, a, he's he's got an interesting really podcast. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Rain Wilson is also on the Epstein flight log, but oh, we won't get no. into that. No, just oh, ruin. God, right, you, you, Damn it, you Dwight. started it. Scientology. <laughs> I, said the, I said the little one. That's a different. One. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that just shifted yeah. the mood. Well, we don't. <laughs> we don't have to get into that anyway. Mindfulness. Okay, let's lower our blood pressure, you guys. <laughs> Beats, bears, battles, Yes. <laughs> okay, so what do you guys notice? personally in your meditation or mindfulness practice i, I think that this simple one is reduce stress right improve sleep like matt was saying yoga nidra is incredible for sleep sure. if you put that on like a, a yoga nidra video or a recording before bed you won't make it through the entire thing you will be out like a light yeah you know um i probably wouldn't be alive without <laughs> having youtube and yoga nidra um just because I have a difficult time sleeping in general, usually, and um, there have I, I there have been times where I have done three to four hours of yoga nidra instead of getting sleep because I can't turn off. And um, a good yoga nidra is like a like a good solid hour of 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 deep trance yoga nidra can be equivalent to eight hours of sleep and for those that don't know could you give a quick explanation of what yoga nidra is um so yoga nidra is is di it's different from um hypnosis it's it's similar however you're unifying uh, the left hemisphere and right hemisphere of the brain 
Uh, so they're both active. Um, and so you're still receiving, however, you're in a, a lower um, brainwave state. So it's similar to sleep uh, rather than hypnosis where you're kind of still cognizant. Um, so the idea is to still, I mean, there are different types of yoga nidra, but usually the idea, like if you went to go to a yoga nidra class would be to remain conscious for the whole thing. Um, but when you start to do yoga nidra for sleep, the, the goal is to then obviously fall asleep. Uh, so there's a little bit of a different brainwave state shift when you go that way. Right, and it's it's not poses, even though yoga is in the no, name. No, right. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah I guess <laughs> it's a guided meditation, right. essentially. Yeah, yoga. Yeah. The word yoga gives people the wrong impression. Um, right. So yoga nidra is is performed laying down, um, usually in um, shavasana, which is the, the Sanskrit uh, yogic pose for pretty much just laying on your back. Corpse pose. Yeah, corpse pose. Um, and uh, then it's usually uh, a series of of words. Uh, they can even be uh, guided through uh, body awareness, kind of scanning the body. Um, and a lot of times it, it, it becomes very rapid because the, the idea is, is, again, to, to separate um, your your conscious and your your subconscious. So um, these you're getting cues that are that become uh, increasingly more rapid, and uh, so it, the intention is to not focus on them. And um, there are many different types um, and many different ways you can uh, achieve this, but. And at the end of the day, you're still laying there <laughs> listening, <laughs> yeah, depending on what they're saying. Um, but giving yourself the permission to just do nothing. Sure, That's yeah. That's so huge. Yeah. And I, one thing that we've touched on before, and it's talked about the clouds. Um, that's one thing that I find that is, is common when doing a yoga nidra practice is that um, there's usually some sort of cue in the beginning um, to take whatever pressing kind of uh, issue or thought form that you're having or something that you just can't get rid of, the, the nagging thought. Um, there's usually some sort of cue in there to take that thought and you know either place it in the palm of your hand or put it in a bubble or uh, and, and, and kind of let that thought you know travel, uh, up and away out of your energy and you know it's not the intention to stop the thought completely um, but rather let it come back to you at a time when it uh, is better needed yeah to pause it yeah and yoga nidra uses i think progressive muscle relaxation does it yeah, that would be like the body scan. The body type. scan, yeah. yeah. Usually, yeah. Um, I love those kind of meditations, especially when you feel like you're not in your body. Mm -hmm. I really like the progressive muscle relaxation. I know Kelly uses that yeah. in some of her work as well, and that just really takes me out. 
And and sometimes it's not even they they don't even uh, have you relax. It's it's really just focusing on parts of your body. So they'll give you cues like left elbow, right knee, left toe, right Awareness. toe. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's it's not even to like consciously relax those areas. It's creating that awareness and then your body kind of naturally relaxes and I don't know it's it can become addicting because now I can do it myself (laughs) so I'll just lay there and you know scan the body and relax and I mean you get crazy releases and weird twitches and uh, I don't know it's amazing and if you have a hard time even just doing any of these things a good start would be just going and getting a massage I mean, there's so many clients that we get as massage therapists that are just not in their body. They're not present. And they're usually the ones bossing you around the whole massage where they're just like, <laughs> do my arm, do my shoulder. It's like, okay, are you, are you, do you want to give yourself a massage? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but for the most part, um, really just getting yourself back into grounding. If you're having just a hard time, even just being able to sit still enough to be present to do meditations, even if it's moving meditations, go in and get a massage. Um, the power of touch is very mm-hmm. powerful. That's um, so true. And there's so many people who have spent their entire lives never receiving a nurturing touch. They may have experienced sexual touch, but they have never received it in a nurturing way that is beneficial for their body to get them to go into their rest and digest state. And so if you're having those difficulties, massage is a very good way to just get you to get to that point where you can disconnect. And it's not those, you know, no pain, no gain type of massages that everyone tends to think that is super beneficial when it's not. It's just putting you back in that fight or flight mode. Um, It's the relaxation massages getting you to unwind. There's so many people that they come in thinking that they want like super deep pressure and that you know they really want you to like dig in there and the second i touch them it's all just armor it's all emotional armor that's on their body and as a massage therapist and the energy worker i understand both parts of that because it's like okay well this is all emotional armor all i'm gonna do is start putting you in um your fight or flight mode if i go in and start tearing through your muscles and tearing through your connective tissue and so i'll start doing just light gentle rocking movements with people and doing compressions on them and it just naturally puts them in that rest and digest state to where then I can work a little bit deeper in there and it's not necessarily a warming up the tissue or anything like that it's really just energetically getting them out of that state of mind and being able to tell the body that hey you're safe right now and that you can let go and stop holding on I mean, if you think about it with like driving, if you're in a really stressful driving situation and then you have to practically like peel your hands off the steering <laughs> wheel when you're done and you're like, oh, I didn't realize I was this tense. We do that subconsciously all the time with our bodies. And so in places we don't even know. Exactly. Yeah. And so a lot of times <laughs> Priscilla's facial pressure. <laughs> 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 well, one. maybe in those places, too. We sure. Yeah. an earlier conversation that shall not be recorded. <laughs> But anyways, um, so yeah, it um, it puts them in um, that natural state of rest and digest that is ultimately what you want from massage because you can't get into all the layers 
and um, work on the pain if you're not working on what's causing the pain. And a lot of times it's not physical that's causing the problems. Yeah, that's that's very important. And I found that uh, a lot of people who really want that super, super deep, heavy pressure, um, they often can't even feel the pressure. Oh, yeah. They have no Absolutely. sensation of it because they are so bound up and so tense. And it's it's not an issue with the tissues. I mean, that's part of it. But like Kelly said, a lot of it's emotional. A lot of it's guarding. Um, in massage school, we called it armor. Yeah. Emotional it, it, armor. Yeah, it literally is armor. Uh, mm-hmm. Because your, your body uh, will actually get to the point where it will separate um, the pain response. So if you're neglecting an area and it begins to become, you know, a, a chronic sort of uh, a chronic tension, um, your brain out of survival necessity will turn it off. Yeah. And um, yeah, sometimes the only way to bring that awareness back is by physical touch and yeah. mindfulness. Yeah, I've, I've personally experienced that before when I haven't been taking the best care of my body or I've been in a constant state of stress or tension where I go to get a massage and I literally cannot feel what they're doing. I can't feel the pressure. And I know better than to ask them to use a bunch of pressure. That's when I know I need either myofascial release or craniosacral or something, something more energetic or gentle. Because, I mean, that's not going to cut it. You can't just, you know, jackhammer through something that's multi-layered, multifaceted. Yeah. And, you, I mean, and there's such a, like, toxic culture around people who misunderstand what massage really is for and that they do have that no pain, no gain type of mindset where they sure. think that if I'm not wailing on you, I'm not being effective. And it's like, well, if you're an experienced and really good massage therapist, I don't have to wail on you to work really deep on you. I can if I want to. I have plenty of pent-up rage that I could work on. (laughs) 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 But I'm not going to do that. That's extra. It's extra. (laughs) It's an add-on. It's a different service. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'm just joking on that. But anyways. um, Sure. But it is is the old... I tell clients all the time, it's like an old school way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Like when I started doing massage like 20 years ago, I was instinctively doing myofascial and neuromuscular. I had no... I had been trained in that. I had no like other framework, but that was just like my natural flow was to go low and slow is what I call it, you know. I'm like Johnny Cash, you know. (laughs) What did he say? (laughs) Slow and steady, whatever. He said, if we could play any faster, we would. That's exactly how I am. If I could go any faster, I would. I can't. That's just not my style. Because I'm feeling into everything that's going on. I feel every twitch of the muscle fibers. I feel every shift in your fascia. And I'm adjusting and moving according to that, you know. And so there, while I can use the nerves, neuromuscular is using the nerve centers, of the muscle, you know, to stimulate the nerves and get them to reset, to reprogram, you know, it's like there's this loop that's been going of contract, 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 you know. So I tell people like, you know, what we're doing is we're asking the, we're stimulating the nerve, the nerve's asking the brain what to do. The brain says, we're not running from dinosaurs. We're not holding a broken bone. Maybe we can let this go, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I tell people like your muscles have its own like logic to it where yeah, they have a memory exactly so when you do have a knotted up area 
you can just simply just press on that area and the muscle's going to be like, are we being stabbed? No? Okay. Well, I guess we could just relax. And so you can just hold certain areas of the body and just get the body to relax and release those knots just based on that. And the knots are just muscle contractions that are trapping blood inside of it. And um, so it's interesting how it's starting to finally change where it's getting out of that mindset of the whole no pain no gain but you still get a lot of clients that still come in thinking that but they don't understand that you know we work on like six clients a day sometimes depending yeah. on the therapist I've toned that down to only three that's like my maximum now um, I'm not that eager anymore um, and you know, one, it's hard on the therapist because, you know, we have so many clients we see throughout the day to be wailing on every single person. That's like a workout all day long. Like we are working out and, um, and it's not doing anything for you. So it's not beneficial for either. And, um, I always tell people it should be just as relaxing for me as it is for you when I'm giving a massage. And if it's not, then we're not the right energies for each other because you're looking for something that I can't give. And um, it goes back to just allowing yourself to receive and allowing yourself to be present enough in your body to be able to trust the person that you're working with to be able to be present enough with you to work on it. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's, you know, massage therapists that have off days. Maybe they're burnt out, overworked, whatever it may be, and they may not be as present. But if you do get that therapist that is present with you, trust their knowledge and understanding of your tissue because they're touching hundreds of people a year and we look at all of the subtle things we watch how you're breathing and if you're starting to do a lot of like chest breathing and <laughs> we know that we're going way too deep on you even though you're telling us to go deeper like your body's telling us otherwise and if you're twitching or i see you like you know putting a fist and you're trying to like pretend like you're not resisting it it's too much and it's your body's telling you it's too much and your brain's just like, no, keep going. And so um, they just expect to undo 20 years of trauma in their body within an hour. And um, I know this is going off topic on meditation. but uh, <laughs> No, I definitely think massage is, is mm -hmm. receiving. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's the same it's mindset. It's body sure. awareness, mind being mindful of what's going on. And and it is the, the idea of being able to not have someone you know go really hard on you what what's happening when someone's doing a traditional deep tissue and they're going really hard and they're breaking down the muscle tissue they're injuring you they're tearing things and that's why you have that rebuild phase and you're sore for a few days and stuff like that whereas if you can see it from the approach of the reset of just having just enough pressure to stimulate the nerve then it's almost like that that hand of the therapist that intention of the therapist is more of like i'm with you this is compassion like i'm here i see that you're hurting here i'm here with you and i'm going to be present with this and i'm going to hold it until you're ready to let it go you yes. know and that's very much the way i feel that those sessions go holding space for transformation big time yeah. instead of saying i shall change you <laughs> i will make this go away you know well, beat it out this of horrible you. horrible knot that's hurting you it's out of here <laughs> i promise you know it's just this totally different approach and you feel that and so if you're in that zone of constantly feeling 
this trauma, if you are hating that knot in your shoulder that is persistent, you know, one, recognizing it's there probably because of something that you're doing. Mm. It's a muscle memory. If you, our bodies are trying to partner with us, we just give it shitty information sometimes, you know? It's like, I I lay on my side on this pillow every night and I know it's going to hurt my neck. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot. It just somehow in the course of the night, I'm back in that spot and I'm like, ah, dang it. You know, why did I do that again? (laughs) So it's not anyone's fault but my own that my neck hurts you know from time to time because i keep choosing to to stay in the habit of sleeping in that position whereas if i the nights where i put all of the pillows on the floor and i lay on my back and i sleep so much better i snore a lot more but that's the benefit of sleeping alone (laughs) (laughs) um then i am creating a new cycle a new habit i sit on the couch with my, you know, turn to one side. I've done it for 20 something years. And yet I wonder why my left hip is always so freaking tight yeah. to the point where that leg is shorter now <laughs> because it's so tight. But when I can stay conscious of that and say, you know what, I'm going to sit on the other side of the couch or I'm going to sit on the floor or I'm going to stretch on the floor and st- while I'm relaxing and doing whatever, you know, watching TV or looking at my phone or playing with my kid you know, instead of, but, it, you know, our muscles have memory. It's not their fault. And I think that's also an awareness thing, a cultural thing too, that now we're saying, oh, why is my body breaking down? Like, well, probably because you're eating like crap. You're not exercising. You're not all things I'm guilty of, you know, uh, you're not moving it in, in the way, in a variety of ways, giving it dynamic movement, new information all the time. And so same thing with our minds too. If we're not using different ways of thinking if we're not trying different kinds of meditation if we're not constantly trying to create new habits in our life then we are where we are and that's we're not going anywhere different that reminds me of uh, so one of my before i i moved uh up to sedona um my best friend went to uh went to school and became a a massage therapist and and he's he's one of the few guys that um i've i've ever known in the field that uh has uh, incorporates uh, spiritual aspects of it and um he was telling me a story about uh someone they were studying uh it was a massage therapist uh who went to get their doctorate and and um in actual in in medicine and during uh her um studies she finally got to the point of doing like an autopsy and she was like all right now i'm gonna find out what is inside those muscles that i've been working on people for all these years and why they're all you know why they get all knotted up and when she went in and looked at the muscles, there's absolutely nothing there. So it's all what we're doing to ourselves is what's being translated into our muscles. And hearing that, I mean, of course, this is third hand or whatever, hearing that story. But still, it's uh, something that I can, I will never forget is like that muscle that 
or that knot that you have is is all your fault. <laughs> you, no there's one no wants escaping to hear that. it. <laughs> or your husband. That that when you when you pass away, when you're no longer in this physical vessel, that knot will disappear. So essentially, you're taking that energy with you, and um, yeah, that is that's difficult to wrap your mind around. Um, well, and it, it has a lot to do with the fact of going back to just that armor. Um, they do talk about that in massage school, that we create an emotional armor around our body. And when you think about it, because a lot of the shamanic work that I do, um, it's about clearing out the emotional body inside your body. And so we hold certain emotions in certain parts of our body, and it is representing specific things that are happening to us energetically. And it's kind of even in the same similar structure of how acupuncture is done, where the meridian structures also have emotions. Mm. And um, our body is digesting energy the same way it digests food. So it's processing energy the same way as well. And so when that happens, it is getting stored in the muscles, it is getting stored in the joints and various different parts of the body. And so a lot of times it can be energetic, it could be mental, it could be emotional, it could be all of it. And um, you'd be surprised at how many times I've had clients just ball on my table. Sure. Um, because it's finally that emotional release of whatever was stuck in there. And and a lot of times they're like, well, I wasn't even thinking about anything at that time. And then all of a sudden I just started remembering this, that, or the other thing. And then it just caused an emotional reaction. I'm like, well, that's not a coincidence. That's That emotion was stuck there. And it was stuck in that part of your body. Like how many people have low back issues and how many of them are feeling like they're being supported. Because mm-hmm. that has everything to do with feeling supported. Whether it be by you or by other people. A lot of um, shoulder stuff on like carrying weight, carrying burdens, feeling like you're carrying grief. too much. Grief. Yeah. Grief can also be in the lungs. lungs. Sure. And lungs so. and heart. Yeah. But, uh, well, the, and all the things that come with grief too. I, I mean, that emotional armor uh, can translate itself it's physically. how you choose to protect yourself from grief. Right, yeah. Um, uh, I mean... Yeah, that that's a whole other form, is how you protect yourself from the emotions you're holding. I'm sure there you can look back at, at your own photographs of yourself, you know, during times of of grief and and see the physical changes mm-hmm. you know you don't you don't have to be uh, uh in empathic or intuitive to be able to see how that uh emotional state has changed you physically yeah, yeah because how we hold stress, ourselves too yeah because you too. you hold your body um in a way where you're protecting what's most vulnerable so subconsciously we will start contracting around areas that can be most vulnerable so they say you know Um, A lot of people that are having a lot of heart chakra stuff, you'll notice that their shoulders will start rounding forward. They'll start kind of moving forward with their body. Their neck starts kind of coming forward. Mm -hmm. Mm. And um, the whole point is that you're protecting all of the vulnerable spots. There's a reason why we go into the fetal position. So if you look at people and you analyze how they're holding their body, you'll see that a lot of this is a emotional protection that they're doing around their body and it's that armor that we're talking about where it's contracting and trying to protect certain areas and so a lot of digestive issues and stuff can be emotional as well because it's that fascia that's tightening around your intestines and it's slowing things down and so even 
working on the abdomen it's very powerful when you're doing massage because it holds a lot of emotion it holds a lot of energy and um it can cause very big releases oh yeah i remember because your organs yeah in most chinese you know eastern medicine all of your organs represent a different emotion like your liver holds anger things like yeah and they're all right there in your torso yeah i remember in massage school when we worked on the the stomach that was quite a day (laughs) there were people crying there were people throwing up there were people in the bathroom I was the one throwing up all day the first time I ever had abdominal I was the one having a panic attack. Yeah, Yeah. there's a lot stored in there. Well, I make a point to do holds on people's bellies a lot. You know, even when I do sound healing sessions, when I do private, you know, small private sessions, I put a bowl on each person's belly, which everyone is calling out to tune them like an instrument. And today I had a woman, she was we went through an entire hour of of sound, you know, silent, med- non-speaking time where I'm just playing instruments and they're relaxing on the mattresses, meditating. And, um, and she, the second I chimed the bowl in her belly, just completely broke down, you know? And, um, and then I had, you know, I chime it again and then she breaks down again. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe we won't do as many times as usual because... <laughs> But she was so grateful, and and you know when it comes to the bowl that she that had asked to work with her, it was a very cleansing, clearing, you know, mm. a wounded healer bowl, and and mm. um, so there can be big, you know, even just holding people on their tummies, you feel everything. They call it fascial unwinding. I mean, you can physically feel things shifting and moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've experienced that, uh, you know, with yoga nidra that. Mm. Um, that I was uh, talking about earlier. Um, yeah, getting those those crazy releases and strange muscle twitches. I mean, in, in yeah, in in parts of your body that you aren't consciously connected to uh, every day that you don't think about. I mean, you know, yeah, we all think about you know the tight spots in our neck and our back and you know, our hips or legs or whatnot. Um, but man, when you have like a, a muscle spasm that's like fluttering, like on the inside of your belly underneath your <laughs> hip bone or something like it's, <laughs> it's really weird feeling. <laughs> um, but also pretty profound. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember even just, um, I was taking yin yoga pretty regularly and yin yoga tends to be a lot of like floor stretching and long holds. It's very meditative, um, which is kind of more the type of yoga that I like to do just because of the fact that I don't like a whole lot of cardio with a lot of the lung issues that I've had over the years and stuff. So that tends to be more up my alley on what I tend to get drawn to. And, um, I remember one time, um, when I was in meditation while I was doing yin yoga, I had this um, beautiful being to come to me that was like a goddess that reminded me of like Mother Earth almost. And um, she brought me back into a memory of being an infant. And I was, it was almost like I was reliving it again and like seeing myself like being held by my mom. I was being breastfed and stuff and I can like feel the warmth of her skin and I can hear her humming and stuff like that. And it was almost like being exactly in that moment at that time. And I just had a full emotional release with it. 
And so it was very beautiful to have those moments, especially after my mom had passed, to like have something like that brought to you where you can reprocess old energies. And I think for me, it was a lot of like inner child stuff for me of, you know, I had talked about in other episodes of always, you know, feeling that disconnect from my mom since she was borderline personality disorder. So you don't really get the version of your parent you wish you had. And to put me back into that memory of, a time where I did feel love and nurture was very beautiful. And so it was a very deep experience and something that was just very simple as just holding a yoga pose for a period of time and going deep into meditation. And so sometimes they could be really deep releases like that. It was unlocking that cellular memory. Yeah. To a profound <laughs> extent. Yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah. I did a, um, past life regression, basically hypnosis session, because it didn't end up going into a past life because people go where they're meant to go. Um, But I did one the other day on a gentleman who for 40 years has been one of the premier wellness and spa writers, travel writers and bloggers in the country. And he's gone all over the world. He spent years in meditation in India and, and, you know, Tibet, different, just different places he was telling me about. He's done it. He's done it all. There's, you'd be hard pressed to find something he hasn't experienced before. Right. And so he warned me that, you know, he's had a mixed experiences with this, you know, with going into hypnosis, whether it's been something really intense has come up and, and he's decided to block it and not come through, or it's been really relaxing and easy. And, um, when we got into the session, usually we're having people verbalize because it helps bypass that left brain when you're in that process. If you can just keep stream of consciousness, you know, speaking, then it helps bypass the left brain analysis. And so he started off that way and then he just went silent. And usually when people, especially experienced people go silent, it's because it's something they can't put into words. Mm -hmm. And that's where he said he went after the journey was over. He said that, one, the only time he's ever been able to get that deep was on ayahuasca. And he was so excited that he figured out that that could happen without all the side effects of ayahuasca and all the prep work. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into having that experience before and after. And also he reconnected with the love that he'd been searching for his entire life because he also had a very traumatic childhood. And um, I mean, unspeakable, you know, a few just of the highlights he he shared with me and um so he got to lay there for 30 minutes bathing in this absolute love that he's been searching for his whole life and walk out of that room feeling that love finally you know in his in the later part of his life in his 60s you know 50s it's amazing um, moving forward and you know we never know what's going to happen right same as the client they don't know what's going to happen going to a session, we don't have any idea what's going to happen, but it's amazing when everything just lines up, everything in his life lined up to that moment, you know, to be able to have that experience. So meditation's always a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. And mindfulness and awareness of our emotions is just as important as mindfulness in our thoughts and our actions and our body awareness. Sometimes we, we, 
guard our emotions or we push them down and then what happens they come out um, in dysfunctional ways or they show up in our body and our tissues like we were talking about earlier so being aware of your emotions as they come up and not letting them rule you or be in that reactionary state like we were talking about that's a very important part of mindfulness as well yeah well, thank you everyone for tuning in with us today. We'll have some um, meditation videos eventually coming in on our link tree. We've been trying to get it up and going, but um, you know, it's a work in progress, but. We are all one person shows in our own lives, so. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll have them up, up soon um, and we'll make notice when we do. And um, thank you for coming in. Bye. Bye. Peace. Bye. All of the information shared on this podcast is for educational purposes only, based on personal experience. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any form of mental or physical illness. Please consult a medical professional before using any advice given during this podcast. Thank you, and blessed be.